creative director and executive producer, Sam Phelps. A puddle on the sidewalk reflects the pale moon. Droplets of water rippling the reflection. A car drives through the busy Miami nightlife. Tonight's the night. And it's going to happen again and again. Has to happen. The driver is silhouetted against the neon lights of hotels and clubs. Nice night. Crowds of attractive people mill about the street and dine outdoors at candlelit tables. They dance, eat, laugh, and flirt with each other. Miami is a great town. I love the Cuban food, pork sandwiches, my favorite. But I'm hungry for something different now. A flash of neon streetlights reveals deep-set brown eyes beneath a pronounced brow. The mysterious man stares into the crowd, receding in his rearview mirror. Jugglers, contortionists, and human statues perform and hustle for tips on the wet pavement. A woman is taking a well-earned drag of a menthol cigarette. Two pensioners are making out up against a car, like horny teenagers. The driver pays no mind. He continues to search, dismissing the seething crowd. A warmly lit park is filled with warm string lights and paper lanterns. In it, a Catholic schoolboy's choir is finishing their recital. The proud choirmaster takes a well-deserved bow with a warm smile. He is a white, middle-aged man with graying hair in a widow's peak. The choirmaster looks calm and happy with the boy's efforts tonight. One of the younger boys, with soft hazel eyes and silky blonde locks, steps forward and smiles warmly. The choirmaster turns to the crowd. His cheering family smiles and waves back at him. Nearby, from inside his car, the shadowy man detects the target amongst the proud schoolboys. There he is, Mike Donovan. He's the one. Mike hugs his wife and two young daughters as the choir disperses around them. Choirmaster Donovan walks alone to his black station wagon. He is parked away from the crowd, over by a construction site. He slides into the driver's seat. The man who has been watching Mike sits up in the back seat and fastens a wire around the choirmaster's neck. Mike struggles to pull free. With subdued interest, the attacker tightens the wire. You're mine now, so do exactly as I say. What do you want? I want you to be quiet. I'll drive. 
<laughs> With every involuntary swallow, Mike's Adam's apple vehemently rides above, then below the wire. A sheen of sweat drips down Mike's anguished face as he drives further down a dirt road, cutting through a forest. The man in the back seat remains eerily calm. His matte black leather-gloved hands grip the wire as if holding a steering wheel. The car approaches the driveway of an abandoned house. Turn here. The car pulls to a stop along a barbed wire fence, separating the derelict property from the looming forest and fog. The headlights land on three large piles of dirt. Next to them are three holes big enough to hold human bodies. The focused figure in the back seat releases the wire around Mike's torn throat. The assailant swiftly moves to Mike's door and grabs him by the neck, dragging him away from the driver's seat and shoving him to the muddy ground. Okay, you have to listen. He stares down at the helplessly wriggling choir master. Do what I say. The felon expertly loops the wire back under Mike's chin like a lasso and pulls hard, dragging Mike along the dark ground towards the house. Strong fluorescent lights flicker on with a harsh blast rousing Mike from unconsciousness. The light floods the empty room with a glare that makes Mike wince. His eyelids close and open again, trying desperately to readjust to his new and horrifying environment. Mike backs himself against the frigid concrete basement wall. The mystery man stands glaring at him from the shadows. Mike squeezes his terrified eyes shut and tries to turn his head away. Look. No. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, no. It's horrible, isn't it? Isn't it? The man leaps from the darkness, grabs his head and forces Mike's face to the side, grabs his thinning grey hair and pulls his skull back towards the light. Open your eyes and look at what you did! <laughs> look or I'll cut your eyelids right off your face. Bodies. Three little children. Decaying arranged meticulously side by side, laid bare on plastic tarp. It took me a long time to get these little boys clean. One of them had been in the ground so long he was falling apart, I pulled him out in bits and pieces. Mary, full of grace, the Lord. Stop! That never helped anybody. Please, you can have anything. That's good. Beg. These little boys. Beg. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't. I just... Please, you have to understand. Trust me, I definitely understand. See, I can't help myself either. 
children. I could never do that. Not like you. Never. Ever. Kids. Why? I have standards. Mike doesn't feel the syringe plunge into the side of his neck. His body goes limp. And the world goes dark. Mike's eyes open once again. The soul who brought him here is now looking over his naked, splayed body. Mike Donovan feels the tight straps holding him to the table. Everything is wrapped in heavy-duty plastic. The abductor runs a scalpel down Mike's cheek with precision and begins drawing his blood through a surgical syringe. Soon. You'll be packed into a few neatly wrapped hefties in my own small corner of the world. With the careful touch of an artist, the man allows a single drop of blood to fall from his instrument and land on a delicate glass microscope slide. We'll be a neater, happier place. A better place. The man takes a deep inhale of relief. He picks up a power drill. Miami's sun has risen, but heavy clouds block its warmth and light. A twin-engine motorboat makes its way smoothly down the river towards Miami, captained by... My name is Dexter. Dexter Morgan. Dexter is a brown-haired, good-looking man with lean muscles, a soft square jaw, high cheekbones, and unusually coloured lips. He is always on. His eyes reflect this, never fully resting on anything, always scanning, and rarely blinking. I don't know what made me the way I am, but whatever it was left a hollow place inside. People fake a lot of human interactions, but I feel like I faked them all, and I faked them very well. Dexter is wearing the perfect don't-look-at-me uniform of khaki slacks, a polo shirt, and a broad, unsuspecting smile. It's a smile he has practiced since a child, and is so deeply worked into him that the lines of his face are carved around it. He spots leather-skinned fishermen standing on their commercial boat and uses that smile. Ahoy! Ahoy there, Captain! Any big marlin out there today? And that's my burden, I guess. But I don't blame my foster parents for that. Harry and Doris Morgan did a wonderful job raising me. But they're both dead now. I didn't kill them. Honest. Being out here on the water reminds Dexter of sailing with his foster father as a kid. Harry represents Dexter's better judgment and also his inner darkness. Much like Dexter, Harry radiates a calm, collected composure, even in the face of an awkward conversation. You're different, aren't you, Dexter? What do you mean, Pop? 
The Billups say Buddy disappeared. I found the grave, son. That dog was a noisy little creep, Dad. He was barking all night and Mom couldn't sleep when she was very, very sick and that lousy dog was yapping at every leaf that blew down the sidewalk. There were a lot of bones that went next to They weren't just buddies. His father is strong, gentle and caring. Harry looks at his son warmly. The revving of Dexter's boat engine drowns out the memory. His boat, aptly named Slice of Life, speeds back to shore and away from his past. Hola, Dexter! Dexter strides along a balcony towards his apartment door. He glides into his neat, bright, oceanfront home and locks the door. Walking past his desk and densely packed bookshelf, he heads straight to his air conditioning unit embedded in the wall. He swiftly pulls off the plastic facade and reaches inside the cramped air duct to retrieve a small antique wooden lockbox. From his bookshelf, a framed photo of a younger Dexter with his adopted family looks on. He unlatches the box and from his pocket pulls the glass slide with Mike's blood. Dexter lifts the sample and admires his work. Blood. Sometimes it sets my teeth on edge. The sample is neatly added to the dozens more slotted into the box. Other times it helps me control the chaos. Now at his desk, he pulls open a drawer, whipping out a manila folder and studies the file contents. The code of Harry, my foster father, is satisfied. And so am I. Harry was a great cop here in Miami. He taught me how to think like one, taught me how to cover my tracks. I'm a very neat monster. A nearby answering machine comes to life. Dexter, are you there? Okay, Dex, please, as soon as you get in, uh, I'm at a crime scene by the shithole the Seven Seas Motel and I need you here, okay? Dex, please, pretty fucking please with cheese on top. That's my foul-mouthed foster sister, Deborah. She has a big heart, but won't let anyone see it. She's the only person in the world who loves me. I think that's nice. I don't have feelings about anything, but if I could have feelings at all, I'd have them for Deb. Dexter slowly changes out of his clothes. A scar around four inches long runs like a river down the left side of his ribcage. He reaches for a blue shirt neatly placed on his bed. Dexter is the kind of guy who pre-plans everything, even his casual day wear. Passing nosy onlookers and bustling reporters, Dexter strolls with purpose through the police barricade towards the Mamacita Motel. Maybe the motel exterior was once hot pink, now the sun has bleached the vibrancy, turning it an unwilling vomit pastel. There's something strange and disarming about looking at a homicide scene in the daylight of Miami. It makes the most grotesque killings look staged, like you're in a new and daring section of Disney World. Dahmerland. You better be a cop. No, forensics. He flashes his Miami Metro homicide ID. The cop stands down and Dexter ducks under the yellow crime scene tape. 
Deborah, dressed in streetwalker garb, nervously taps her bloodied foot as her brother approaches. Dex! Deb signals her brother into an empty suite. Hey, what's up? She seems out of place and exposed in denim shorts with a whale tail and a red halter top. The straps of a yellow bikini are pulled tight across her back. Jeez, Deb. Where the hell do you keep your gun? They found another hooker in the pool. Another? Chopped up in bits and pieces. That's the third one in five months. Third? You mean there's a... A serial killer. That's right. The other two are in Brower, chopped up just like this one. She's agitated, jumpy and fidgety. She appears neurotic with fast gestures and movements. Any suspects? I wish I knew. I'm on vice, so LaGuardia sent me to my room and told me to stay out of sight. Her shoulders are hunched and her head held down. God forbid she listens to what you have to say. Tell me about it. How does someone so dumb get so much power? She knows how to play the game. You could take a lesson. What, ask you thing? Politics. Dexter peers out the window at LaGuerta, a beautiful Latino woman dressed in a pale green pantsuit. Her hair has been straightened and perfectly coiled into a French bun. Her large police badge hangs neatly from a silver chain around her neck. She calmly interviews a hotel employee with a clipboard tucked under her arm. She speaks to him with an unflinching gaze. I just want to catch this guy before he kills another one of my girls. You can't get so emotionally invested. You always say that. So did Dad. Yeah, but he also said go after what you want. I want out of ice and into homicide. What can I do to help? You get these hunches, you know, with these types of murders. Only sometimes. We'll see if you get one this time. And can I bounce some ideas off of you later? You know I always get smarter when I'm talking to you. You just need a little more confidence. All right, I'll take a look. In the meantime, avoid LaGuerta and talk to Captain Matthews. He and Dad were tight. Maybe he'll put you on the case. You're making me smarter already, see? And keep the sex suit on when you talk to the captain. It'll help your cause. She playfully shoves her brother out the door. Deborah believes she truly knew her father. But in reality, she is completely unaware of the secrets Harry and Dexter keep. Pulling on his white latex gloves, Dexter strides down into the motel's drained pool and towards two plain-clothed detectives hunched over a covered body. One of the officers approaches him. Sorry, sister. Damn, looking hot. Yeah, she should. It's hot as hell out here. Vince Masuka is the Miami Metro Police lead forensic investigator, but comes across to Dexter more like a horny Labrador with little impulse control. A short, lean Asian man with glasses placed on a 40-something-year-old balding head, Masuka sees a hunk in the mirror every morning and carries himself like it. He wears cheap cologne and gets sleazy and charming very confused. Like Deborah, there's no concealment of his feelings. He might be a bit slimy, but Vince is an extremely talented investigator, which might explain why he hasn't been fired for social misconduct. So, uh, why are you here? It's a crime scene? Yeah, but you do blood spatter. So? So? There's no blood here. What was that? Yeah, there's no blood in or on or near the body at all. It's the weirdest thing you ever saw. 
Masuka calls back to the other plain-clothed investigator, Angel. Hey, Angel. Let's show him. A heavy-set Latino man, comfortable in his own skin, with fiercely kind eyes. The forensics blanket is pulled back by Masuka and Angel. Dexter is stunned. No blood. No sticky, hot, messy, awful blood. No blood at all. Why hadn't I thought of that? No blood. What a beautiful idea. The segmented corpse is cut into neat portions, some wrapped in brown paper and twine. Muscle and bone are visible like rings on a tree that's been felled. How does he do it? How does the killer get rid of the blood? It's hard to say. The body's in good shape. She had a nice ass too. Head is over there if you want to take a look. This is unique. No shit. And no prints either. <laughs> All three men nod and exchange looks. I've never seen such clean, dry, neat-looking dead flesh. Wonderful. Very clean. Yeah, but he didn't finish. Don't tell me, no. Looks pretty complete, though, to me, Angel. No, no. Look. Angel uses smooth hand gestures to illustrate his theory better. He cut the leg in four pieces, almost like using a ruler. But this leg is in three pieces. Angel points at a small incision on the thigh. Now look, he started to make a fourth cut, but stopped. It's possible that he got interrupted. The court is looking for a witness, working on the motel porter back there. God help him. No blood. I can't think. I have to get out of here. Dex, don't never. Where are you going? Hey, no blood. No trabajo. Angel tips his trilby hat. Angel Batista owns the space he's in, but doesn't dominate it. His colleagues love him because he's self-aware, fiercely loyal, and displays a dry sense of humour. Emerging from the drained pool, Dexter glances at his superior, Lieutenant LaGuerta, standing proudly with her hands steadfast on her hips. She chances a sultry wink at him. I wish she'd stop that. It's one of those mating rituals which I really don't understand. Dexter looks wistfully back towards the corpse, the back of his shirt damp with sweat. But that bloodless body. This guy may have exceeded my own abilities. At the police station, Dexter strides into work with a box of fresh donuts. Morning, Dex. Morning. He nods ambiguously as Sue and Dan each bite into a donut. Hey, Dex. Hey, Sue. Dan. How are the families? Mm. Good. You? See you at the next bloodbath? Never miss a party. <laughs> Thanks. Salt of the earth, these people, and they work hard. But with the solve rate for murders at about 20%, Miami is a great place for me. Great place for me to hone my craft. Viva Miami. Next. Deborah, now in regular police uniform, spots her brother and the free donuts from across the room. Oh, I like your other outfit better. <laughs> You're a sick bastard. Guess what? Sex suit worked. Captain put me on the case. Negrita wasn't happy, but she needs to get laid. I guess. So, congrats. Mm. <laughs> So, you got any ideas yet? Nope. Well, uh, start working on your mental autopsy, because I could use your theories. 
Thanks for the fucking donut. I gotta go. Dexter keeps moving into the records office where he sees a white woman with brown wavy hair streaked with silver. Donut. As Camilla's eyes land on Dexter, her face lights up with happiness. You keeping your fingernails clean? Never leave home without my rubber gloves. Good boy. <laughs> so, anything new? She smiles knowingly and rolls back on her chair and begins to run her hand down the file shelf. She finds the folder and begins to hand it to Dexter, but holds it back playfully. One of these days you're going to tell me. I already told you, blood spatter doesn't take up all my time. I like doing it. Maybe I can help out. Fills my nights. You have a morbid sense of fun. <sighs> That's probably true. You should find a pretty girl. I found you. <laughs> Charming like your father. Just don't get me fired. And who would I bring donuts to? She tears off a piece of the donut as she watches Dexter leave. Camilla's pleasant expression switches to one of contemplation. Dexter walks through the large glass enclosed lab, passing the analytical, forensic and serology sections all packed with scientists and analysts in white coats, hovering over microscopes, computers and other high-tech machines. Angel. Una más. Gracias. De nada. As Angel helps himself to the final donut, Dexter stares blankly at the empty box. Just like me. Empty inside. Dexter's office cubicle screens are plastered with images of blood-stained walls, floors and carpets. Looks almost like a Jackson Pollock exhibit. A large, imposing, bald black man approaches. A dark blue polo shirt squeezed across the wide and muscular rock of his torso. Fixed with a permanent look of hostility and pursed lips that protrude beneath his bushy black moustache. Where the hell you been? Crime scene? He leans in with a lowered brow and with two raised fingers, gestures eye contact. What about these? The Hotel Cokehead murders, this dealer and the girl. Dexter flicks through the crime scene photos with the air of someone considering colour swatches for a room they don't care too much about. In them, a dead woman in a white dress, a naked man with bullet wounds. Oh, well, this hallmark-looking couple didn't die by the hands of a professional. No, this is child's play. Messy work, all that blood on the walls looks like a finger painting. With a clenched fist to prop him up and the other hand on his hip, Dokes leans on Dexter's desk. You give me the fucking creeps, you know that, Dexter? <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry about that. Fuck you. Okay. Uh, is there something I can do? Yeah, to... you can give me your fucking analysis on the blood spatter on these killings. You think I'm here to invite you to my nephew's bris? I didn't know you were Jewish. Shut the fuck up and write your report already. Don't even know why I need you. Grab a crayon, psycho, and scribble this down. Rival dealer came in, two scumbags slashed to hell, dealer stole the drugs. Wham, bam, done. And I don't give a shit what you say because that's what happened and that's who I'm looking for. Hey, we are looking for a motherfucking thief dealer. You got it? Okay, sure. I guess. But I should get over there. Then get over there already, you fucking weirdo. I need it quick. I'm on it. Sergeant, 
Dexter gives a thumbs up and looks down at the photos. James Dokes used to be an army ranger, and he looks it. His arms and legs move like he is still doing army drills. Dokes walks away with intention, stops, and turns to watch Dexter. His eyes tense and narrow. The only real question I have is why, in a building full of cops, all supposedly with a keen insight into the human soul, is Dokes the only one who gets the creeps from me? At the crime scene, the sliding doors on the balcony are open and hot gusts of wind whip the curtains around. In the middle of the lavish suite are a couple of what look like tall microphone stands and, emanating from the top of each stand, is a series of individual red strings stretched across the room and pinned to the blood splattered on the opposite wall and curtains. On the far right side of the room, the wall is almost entirely covered with one big dripping splotch of blood. The left side of the room is very different. The wall is covered with thousands of seemingly random little dots of blood, but, like a Camille Pissarro painting, when you step back and away, those abstract dots transform into a series of descending arcs like rainbows. Dexter pins yet another string to a tiny splat of blood on the wall, completing a complex maze of strings, a massive cat's cradle hanging across the room. Dexter walks back away from the wall, stands next to a young, buff, uniformed cop. Dexter admires his own work. So this killer used a sword? Uh, no, probably a very sharp knife. Look at the blood spatter, look at the patterns. It tells a story. You see this big pond of blood right there? That's from the initial stab. The male victim was standing right here, and the killer plunged his knife into the shoulder, severing the carotid artery, and... Notice the long, thick, heavy drips? Yeah, nice. Now, over here, you have nice, clean sprays of blood, and that can only happen when you're holding something light and moving quick. Nice, sharp slices through the body. No splashes, no drips. Clean and easy. This guy knew how to use a blade. So we're looking for a sushi chef. Yes, yeah, sushi chef is possible. Wouldn't be my first choice, but hey, you never know. Now what? Now I eat. A napkin tucked into his collar, Dexter enjoys a sandwich on the go. The problem with eating and driving, which I love to do, is not being able to employ the 10-2 hand position on the wheel. It's a matter of public safety. Dexter pulls into a parking spot. But there's always a sacrifice. Across the street, he identifies his next target. This guy, Jamie Jaworski. Jamie Jaworski is a stocky, pleasant enough looking man whose large brown eyes might be a little too close together. He is wearing an ill-fitting valet vest that looks like it was made for someone else. Dexter picks up the Jaworski file Camilla gave him earlier. In it, the photo of a smiling white woman with long brown hair. Six months ago, I think he fell in love with a pretty brunette. This is Jane Saunders, a sweet mother of two married to a successful banker. 
all living a pleasant life until she unfortunately disappeared, leaving the kids emotionally devastated forever. Jaworski opens the door of an expensive convertible. Two women step out. The cops arrested my favorite valet, but his lawyer got him off on a faulty search warrant. It's a good thing I don't bother with them. As he slowly hands the driver a ticket stub, his sleeve pulls up his arm, revealing a tattoo of a flaming red devil with large breasts, but no head. It is so large, it reaches down onto his hand. As the driver walks away, Jaworski leers at her retreating form. Later that day, Dexter drives down a squalid residential street, surrounded by low-income housing, barbecue joints and a crumbling Catholic church. He pulls up along the street and focuses on a small, run-down house with a rusty chain-link fence blocking the side alley running along the building. On foot, Dexter slinks into the back door, which leads into a hazy laundry room. The sour smell of clothes left too long. He pulls on white latex gloves. As soon as Dexter steps inside the hall, a massive mangy dog appears and sprints down the hall, charging at Dexter. He smoothly closes a sliding door in front of the guard dog, just in time. Animals don't like me, especially dogs. I don't think they approve of what I sometimes do to their masters. And that dog recognizes me as easily as I can recognize Jaworski. Or any other killer. Dexter takes in the dank bedroom. Chains and leather straps hang from a metal stand beside a filthy bed. In the middle of the room is a desk with a computer on it and an expensive looking digital video camera. Dexter picks it up, eyes it curiously. He then notices a stack of S&M porn magazines, picks one up, flips through it. Interesting taste in literature. Stops on the classifieds. Some have been highlighted in thick red marker. His needs are evolving, turning violent. He's on the fast track. His foster father's voice reverberates in his mind. Have you ever wanted to kill anything else? You know, something bigger than a dog? Yes. Like a person? Yeah, but no one in particular. Why didn't you? Thought you and Mom would like it. Harry grabs his son and holds him tight. Come here. Harry Morgan died ten years ago but he lives on in Dexter's memories. A renowned detective in his day, Morgan became frustrated at the perceived lack of justice in the system. Harry is a hero to Dexter. Dexter, looking showered and wearing another new bowling shirt, carries a paper bag filled with goodies 
and walks through the extraordinary parade of gorgeous men and women. Friday night, date night in Miami. Every night is date night in Miami. Everyone's having sex. But for me, sex never enters into it. I don't understand sex. Not that I have anything against women, and I certainly have an appropriate sensibility about men, but when it comes to the actual act of sex. Dexter walks past a good-looking couple sitting at a table at an outdoor cafe, stops, does a double take. The guy is sipping a mojito, while the pretty young girl, smoking a cigarette with one hand, slowly and casually massages the guy's crotch with the other. Sex, it's always just seemed so undignified. But I have to play the game. And after years of trying to look normal, I think I met the right woman for me. Rita is Dexter's girlfriend, who he uses to appear normal. She is afraid to frown and would prefer it if people didn't pay her too much attention. Fuss, accompanied by politeness, underpins her maternal instincts. Although nervous around trouble, she is a fighter when her mama bear syndrome is woken. Deb saved her life on a domestic dispute call, introduced us, and we've been dating for six months now. On a quiet suburban street, Dexter's car pulls up to a modest house. She's perfect because Rita is, in her own way, as damaged as me. She swings open her front door in a breezy, skimpy sundress. I'm running late, I'll just be a sec, I have to change. Okie doke. Rita smiles, spins around revealing. Hi Dexter. Her two children, Asta, a soft-spoken sweetheart of a girl wearing soft cotton jammies, and her brother Cody, a soft-skinned, polite young boy wearing an oversized t-shirt as a nightgown. Dexter drops to his knees, smiles. May I say that you look lovely this evening? Okay. Master Cody, handsome as ever, high five. Cody tackles Dexter, who falls back and lifts him up overhead and flips him around. He spins like a Ferris wheel and gives Dexter all his body weight, both in an act of courage and trust. In Rita's kitchen, Dexter plays boyfriend of the year. Vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. No coffee. Which one do you think melts faster? <laughs> Ready? Rita's ex-hubby, the crack addict, repeatedly raped her, knocked her around. Ever since then, she's been completely uninterested in sex. That works for me. Will you be back? Of course I'll be back. I meant Dexter. You'll be asleep. No, I won't. All right, then I'll stop and we'll all play cards. Texas Hold'em? Hey, can mommy kiss? You ready? the famous Joe Stone Crab House, a street party is in full swing. Rita leads Dexter by the hand through a dancing crowd. Under a canopy, Rita pulls up at a bench and begins smashing cooked crab with mallets alongside strangers. Needless to say, I have some unusual habits, yet all these socially acceptable people can't wait to pick up hammers and publicly smash their food to bits. 
diners maniacally crush defenceless crustaceans into bits and pieces. And as the shells fly around the street like shrapnel from an exploding car bomb, the people greedily pick at the meat. Normal people are so hostile, but not her. Rita's smiling face glows in the soft light as she sucks on a crab claw. Dexter flashes a toothy smile. Dexter and Rita walk through the park, packed with DJs and bongo players. Blinding strobe and laser lights illuminate the hundreds of skimpy-dressed women and men dancing and drinking tequila. None of these people seem to be aware of the crime scene just yards away, with red and blue lights twirling at the edge of the park. Cordoned off with yellow tape and crowded with a half dozen police cars and ambulances, Dexter is suddenly very interested and grabs Rita's hand tight. Where are we going? They might need me. And with that, he fights his way through the sweltering crowd. Just stay right there, I'll be right back. Rita looks on with concern. He sees Lieutenant LaGuerta talking to a few eager reporters, quickly manoeuvres around some detectives and cops, then sees Angel in the same position he saw him at the last crime scene, bent over, examining wrapped body parts, legs, toes, arms, which are again all neatly laid out on a blue vinyl tarp. Angel looks up. He's grim, tense. Son of a whore. Who? I'm talking about this hijo de puta, this asshole killer, this maricón savage who makes us work on a Friday night. Only Mondays through Thursdays, that's what I always say. Of course, coño, be reasonable. Who wants to work on a Friday night? I have my needs. So, como estas? What are you doing here? I'm just in the neighborhood, I'm on a date. A date? Nice. Same guy, same pattern. Bone dry. No blood again. Pero mira esto. Angel gestures from the ankle cut to the knee and then the thigh. There's some small differences in the cuts this time. Over here, rough, almost emotional. Then over here, not so much. And then over here, clean. Muy bien. Yeah, nice, but look at this. The top of the femur, clean and protruding out of the thigh flesh. All bone. The killer flayed the skin, the flesh, completely off. Now, why would he do that? He's experimenting. He's trying to find the right way. Is he experimenting with the head, too? What do you mean? I mean, La Bestia left her tits and took her fucking head. I don't find anyone around here. And God only knows what he's doing with it. He's certainly raising the bar. Damn. This guy is good. Dexter and Rita sit in the car in front of her house. Will they catch him soon? I doubt it. The killer is an artist. What do you mean? He puts the edge of his palm on her thigh and drags it back like a blade. His technique... is incredible. He grabs the top of her inner thigh and she freezes, her mouth open. 
He looks up to see her face. She pushes him away. A look of horror crosses her face. She pats her dress down, frantically runs her hands through her hair. I'm sorry, I don't think I want to. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready. Rita slams the car door as she rushes back to her home. What have I done now? And why can't I get that neat stack of body parts out of my head? No blood. Why did I touch her that way? At home, Dexter looks grim and angry. He sits at his desk, faces his computer, the large Jaworski file just inches from his fingers. Dexter pounds away on the keyboard. I need to get back to my work. And as the images on the computer screen reflect off his face, his shoulders tighten. His eyes turn cold. Jaworski's website, Scream Bitch Scream, the mother of all rape sites. Pictures of helpless women flash on the screen. One squeezed into a tight leather outfit, the other completely naked. A video begins playing. In a dingy cement room, a woman is being raped by a man with a large red devil tattoo on his arm. She's handcuffed to a pipe fixture, her mouth taped shut. That's it. He's definitely the one. Now it's just a matter of time before he becomes a drop of blood in my glass slide collection. But I have to wait. I have to be careful and follow the code of Harry. In that moment, the screen flashes red, casting a bloody glow over Dexter's face. A grin creeps onto his lips. 